Hi, this is Roland Fisher, lead pastor of Second City Church, and we hope that you're well. Welcome to our online service. We hope you leave today encouraged, full of faith, and ready to take the kingdom of God wherever you may go. Now, what we're doing today is we're actually continuing our new series, which is entitled The Big Ten. And the Big Ten is referring to the Ten Commandments of God, which were given by the prophet Moses to the people of God as they were coming out of their slavery in Egypt by God's mighty hand to bring them into the promised land of modern-day Israel. And God gave them these commandments, which were to be the basis of his relationship with them. The law of God, which was a reflection of not only God's character, but also the way that God chooses to order his world and do things in the world for our good. And so as we see the commandments of God given to the Israelites in the book of Moses or the Torah, the law of God, we're also reminded that these are, as we're saved in Jesus Christ, they're principles that still guide our lives and give us not only a life that's pleasing to the Lord, but also lead to the life abundant that Jesus has for us. And so let's go into the next set of commandments today. Last week, we talked about the first two commandments where God said we'll have no other gods before him. And secondly, that we should not make a graven image of God, meaning that we shouldn't set up idols for ourselves or make a caricature of God, serving God in a way that he himself doesn't prescribe. But today we're going to talk about two other commandments, the third commandment, which has to do with not taking God's name in vain, and the fourth commandment, which talks about the Sabbath rest in God. So we're going to break the message down into three parts today, even as we title this message, It's Not in Vain. We're going to talk first about the fact that you can't just slap his name on it, meaning that you just can't use God's name any way that you choose and attach it to anything that you want to. Secondly, we're going to talk about the Sabbath rest that God calls us to. And then number three, we're going to talk about true rest that's only found in Jesus Christ. And so before we do anything else, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word to us today, and we thank you that you've given us your word to not only proclaim to us clearly who you are, but how to come into the life of freedom, joy, purpose and significance that you have for us. God, we're asking you that you would help us to do this with great faith through the encouragement of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so let's start by talking about the fact that we can't just slap his name on anything that we choose to. Let's pick up again in Exodus chapter 20, where again, this was the first mention of the Ten Commandments, where Moses was giving instruction to the Israelites in how to live. And he said this in verse 7, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Okay, so here we have the third and the fourth of the Ten Commandments of God. 
And what we see is that it starts with number three, where God said, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And I don't know about you, but what's the first thing you think of when you hear this command? Well, I didn't actually grow up in the church, and I was surrounded in my life by friends, co-workers, neighbors, and the like, classmates, who constantly referred to God. But they didn't refer to God with reverence or awe, but they actually referred to God with uh, really a lot of disdain and also a lot of uh, dishonor, is what we'll say. I constantly was surrounded in my life and out of my own lips, off of my own lips, constantly came words like GD this and GD that. And Jesus Christ was called upon, but he was often called upon in terms of as a response to some sort of frustration or exasperation that we were feeling in the moment of our expletives coming out of our mouths. And this is obviously exactly what God's talking about whenever he's saying, do not use his name in vain. And you don't want to dishonor God, who is our uncreated, all-wise, all-knowing, all-powerful deity, using his name without reverence or as a pejorative. That's obviously the surface-level meaning of this commandment, that we don't want to use his name or in vain and dishonor the name of God. Why? Because whenever the scripture moves forward to the New Testament, the Bible talks about setting apart Christ as Lord in our hearts. And it's hard to honor, revere, or respect somebody as Lord whenever you're actually using their name as common, using their name as pejorative, or using their name as just a, uh, a response to frustration. But it goes deeper than that. What we need to understand is that when God's giving this command, he's telling us that you cannot just attach the name of God to anything that you choose to do. Think about that for a moment. Whenever we choose to do what we want, when we want, with whom we want, for as long as we want, even living wherever we want and choosing to say God himself is the author of these things, this is in fact using the name of God in vain when we don't actually have God's leading or his endorsement attached to those decisions. And the detriment of this is not only does it reduce a healthy fear of the Lord in our hearts, but it also strips our existence of the holiness that should permeate all aspects of our lives. And when we're talking about the holiness that should permeate all aspects of our lives, what we're talking about is our lives in every aspect being set apart to God for his glory and his purposes. Now, when we're followers of Jesus, this commandment of not using God's name in vain, doing what we want, with whom we want, when we want, where we want, for as long as we want, not using God's name in vain is important because as followers of Jesus, our lives are no longer our own. And when we do what we want, with whom we want, whenever we want, for as long as we want, wherever we want, what we see is that it's literally cutting against the idea of being a disciple of God. 2 Corinthians 5 shows us that when we were bought back from death by Jesus, what that meant is that our lives are moving forward, moving forward were no longer to be about us. They are about Christ 
his glory, and then, only after that, our good. Our lives have to be laid, down, um, laid out in that order to ultimately have eternal significance, and they have to be led in that order to receive an enduring reward from God. 2 Corinthians 5.15 said it this way. As Paul was writing, he said, And he, meaning Jesus, died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So the essence of being a disciple is ultimately learning to deny yourself, pick up your cross daily, and follow Jesus. It does not mean God's name being attached to whatever we choose to do and then expecting God to follow us in all of our decisions and bless whatever we choose to do without his direction. That is, though, the way that many of us live, even as Christians. We say, God, I expect you to bless whatever I want to do because ultimately, subconsciously, we think that God's here to serve us rather than us serving him. And when we follow Jesus, we've got to learn to follow Jesus through God's written commands and Holy Spirit directives fulfilled alongside of the people with whom God's attached us. We don't want to be those who miss the ways of the Lord because our minds are focused more on God blessing our comforts rather than his kingdom purposes in our lives. And when we use the name of the Lord in vain, we incur guilt on ourselves because sin is ultimately missing the mark. And when we do not do what God intended with our time, our resources, or our talents, ultimately we're trying to attach God's name to whatever we've chosen to do, but we expect God's blessing to be upon it simply because we're associating ourselves with the name of God. But we see from Scripture that that's not the way that God rolls. Let's give you an example of this. When Jesus was talking to his beloved disciples, even during his earthly ministry, he was constantly referring to the fact that his ultimate purpose would be fulfilled in going to the cross to save us from our sins. And in Mark chapter 8, verse 31, it said this in an account that in an exchange that he had, not just with all of his disciples, but with his beloved disciple Peter in particular. And it said, and he, meaning Jesus, began to teach them that the Son of Man, which was one of the most common references or names of Jesus that he um, referred to himself as, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him meaning that Peter began to correct Jesus. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he, meaning Jesus, said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? 
For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and with the holy angels. So what you're seeing here is that Peter, though he wouldn't have said it off of his lips that he was using God's name in vain, he, he had his understanding of what Jesus was all about twisted. He thought, man, all that Jesus is doing in his earthly ministry is going great. He's obviously opening blind eyes, opening deaf ears. He's raising people from the dead. He's actually driving demons out of people and setting the tormented free. And all of these things were going well. And there were great crowds following Jesus and his disciples during his earthly ministry. And Peter would have thought to himself, well, what, you know what, Jesus, things are going well. Why would you interrupt this program as, you know, talking about this idea of going to this cross where you, Jesus, might have to suffer in Jerusalem and it might actually cost you something to fulfill the word of God, um, the will of God? By no means, Jesus. Why don't you just continue to do all the things that are comfortable for you and that you already have uh, sort of a flow with? And to that, Jesus had to respond, even to Peter's good intentions, and say, not just Peter, but Satan, get behind me. Because you don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. And the things that you want to do right now and attach God's name to, those are things that would actually be using God's name in vain. Why? Because it's not actually fulfilling his will. It's fulfilling that which you're comfortable with. It's fulfilling that which, honestly, you, are, you would prefer and the things that would actually give you more respite in your soul rather than the suffering that I'm actually called to and the glories that come from that suffering. And whenever we are tempted in our lives to think more about the things of men, what, what that means is the things that would bring comfort or acclaim for men rather than the pleasure of God, we are tempted to break this command and use the Lord's name in vain. Not just as an expletive, not just as a pejorative, but actually attaching God's name to something that God himself is not endorsing. And so how do we make sure that we're not taking God's name in vain? Well, I think that there are two ways to do that. Number one, Proverbs 3 in verse 5 and 6 tells us this, that we should trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, not in some of your ways, but in all of your ways, acknowledge him. And he, meaning God, will make straight your paths. So number one, to make sure that we're not using God's name in vain, we need to make sure that we are praying about not some things, not just the things that we think are spiritual or a big deal, but pray about everything. God says, acknowledge him in every decision, whether you think it's big or small in your life, pray about everything and compare it to the word of God. And those things that are revealed as the commands of God and the purposes of God in his word. And if you're choosing to do something great or small, make sure that you actually have God's endorsement which will lead to his actual blessing because you're in agreement with God because you first acknowledged him. 
Secondly, you make sure that you're not taking God's name in vain by making sure that you have accountability with covenant believers helping to shape your life, meaning that you have somebody watching out for your six, right? You have somebody watching your back, watching your blind spots. You have somebody through with whom you can vet your decisions to see whether or not we're keeping in mind the things of God or just concerned about the things of men. Peter was encouraged this way even when he, Jesus re was resurrected from the dead and he was reinstating the apostle Peter after Peter had denied him three times after Jesus' arrest and trial prior to his crucifixion. And Peter was concerned to get back on track, get back on track and reinst be reinstated with the things of God. And that's the good news that even if you found that you've used God's name in vain and have gotten off track, you can be reinstated by the Lord by coming humbly to him and saying, God, once again, teach me to love you in the way that you've given me instruction through your commandments, both your written word and the voice of your Holy Spirit. But Jesus was talking to Peter and he said in John 21, 18, truly, truly, I say to you, Peter, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show why, by what kind of death he, meaning Peter, was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, meaning Peter, follow me. I'm not following you, Peter. Once again, if you want to love me, follow me. And this is the, 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 the very real historic example of what happened to the apostle Peter. He was a martyr, as were the other, uh, other apostles of Jesus besides Judas who betrayed Jesus and John the Apostle who uh, um, was the only recorded death of natural causes. The rest of the apostles, including Peter, were martyred. And Peter was martyred by, by crucifixion, just like Jesus. And he was taken away to a place where he did not want to go and was dressed by people other than himself meaning that other people had input in his life to fulfill the word of God in his life. And those are the two things that we need to actually make sure that we're not just doing what we want, when we want, where we want, with whom we want for as long as we want. We need to pray about everything and we need to get godly input in our lives to make sure that we're actually keeping in step with the commands and the will of God. This is how we obey the third commandment. But the fourth commandment is talking about the Sabbath rest of God. And what we need to know is that the commands of God actually um, lead us to a life-giving existence. They actually lead us to a life-giving existence. Again, the fourth commandment reads this way. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For the Lord made the world in six days, on the seventh he rested and he called it holy, right? So the Sabbath, what was it for? Well, ultimately the Sabbath of God was designed to teach us to trust and find our rest in God. The Sabbath was designed to help us trust and find our rest 
in God. I like how Charles Spurgeon stated it. He said that rest time is not actually waste time. It is economy to gather fresh strength. It is wisdom to take the occasional furlough because in the long run, we shall do more by sometimes doing less. And that's just practical wisdom, but it's really more than practical wisdom. It's godly wisdom. It's divine wisdom that God every week set it in motion that we should work six days out of the week, but on the seventh day, we might actually put it, shut it all down and rest. And I'll tell you, quite frankly, admittedly, that this is the one that's one of the most challenging for me, most challenging for me. Because I come from a family of workers who work hard and are diligent and are achievers. And the thing is, is that we have it inside of us. Even as uh, with Jamaican heritage, we always joke about the fact that uh, we're like hamsters on a wheel that keep running and running and running. My uncle would talk about this, running and running and running until eventually we just collapse and keel over and die. (laughs) But that's not God's intention for us, right? God says that, in fact, you were made for Sabbath rest. And each Sabbath, by pausing their work, the Israelites were expressing their trust in God as their source of provision and their source of defined significance. You need to consider even the promises of Leviticus 25, 18 and 22. Not only did God tell the Israelites to rest on the seventh day each week, but he also said that every seventh year, the land that you're working in an agricultural society, he said there would be a Sabbath Sabbath rest for the land. And even agriculturally, we see that in this Sabbath rest, letting the land rest, what it does is rather than being stripped of all of its nutrients and everything that it needs, the minerals to allow crops to grow well, With the Sabbath rest, according to God's divine wisdom, things are restored so that the land can actually produce its plentiful fruit. And God said to the Israelites, Therefore you shall do my statutes and keep my rules and perform them, and then you will dwell in the land securely. The land will yield its fruit, and you will eat your fill and dwell in it securely. That's God's intention for you. And if you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year when we're actually trying to obey you, God, and take a Sabbath rest, if we may not sow or gather in our crop? God said, I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year so that it will produce a crop sufficient for three years. When you sow in the eighth year, you will be eating some of the old crop. You shall eat the old until the ninth year when its crop arrives. So God was basically saying, when you learn to trust me with Sabbath rest, then I'm going to bless you so much within the time that you're actually working because I know you'll obey me and stop so that you have more than enough in the time not only that you're resting, but also the time that you're beginning to get in gear again, to start working again, being diligent to produce what it is that you're trying to achieve. God says, I'll bless you more with six days of work than I will with seven. That's what God's ultimately saying about this Sabbath rest. And he says, ultimately, I do it so that you can keep my kingdom and my ways first in your life. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, 31 through 33, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? 
For the Gentiles, meaning those who don't know God, seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That's a promise from Jesus when we do things his way and obey God's commands. And so what we see is that the Sabbath is meant to be a time of worship where we are not finding identity merely in our work, but in the God who brings significance to our work. And when we honor the Sabbath, we are reaffirming the fact that work, all of our work, whether you're a teacher, a doctor, a lawyer, whether you're an athlete or an entertainer, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, or whether you're somebody who is actually a creative, trying to be an entrepreneur, starting a new business, when we honor the Sabbath, we are reaffirming the fact that work is meant to be worship unto God, rather than work being that which we worship. And each Sabbath, we are pressing a reset button, allowing God to once again reorient our lives around His Word for His kingdom purposes. That's why we have church on our Sabbath day and we worship together, reorienting our lives around God and pressing that reset button. And it is here that we are each reminded of our divine purpose, affirming God's commands as healthy boundaries to provide necessary direction to our pursuits and outlets for our resources. Being a disciple of Jesus affects the decisions that we make on a daily basis where the rubber meets the road, and it frees us from common trappings that others get overwhelmed by in their everyday lives. And this is an example of that where you feel like Maybe I'm called to something, even a profession, but I don't have time or I don't have the space based on my goals to obey the commands of God. I can't take a Sabbath because if I do, I I won't get that degree that I'm going after or I won't get that promotion that I'm going after. I won't get the finances that I'm actually looking for. But what we see is that God will never call you, God himself, despite your ambition, God himself and his purposes for you will never call you to something that requires you to break his commandments, including the Sabbath, to fulfill. As an example, God won't call you to get out of debt by not tithing. God says you don't break a command to fulfill a command, meaning getting out of debt. In the same way, you don't achieve the call of God, even in the vocation to which he's called you, by breaking his command of not honoring a Sabbath. And if you feel like you don't have enough time in the day to obey the commands of God, the issue is that your days are being filled with things that God has in fact not called you to do. You need to think about that. 
if I feel like I have to break the commands of God to get done what, what I feel called to do, the issue is, is that your days are filled with that which God himself has not called you to do. Why do we know that? Because Ephesians 2.10 says that in Christ Jesus, you are to be his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he's prepared in advance for you to do. So that means that if I'm filling my days with things that are preventing me from fulfilling the commands of God to devote myself to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, having a shared life with other believers, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, both private and corporate, with other people, giving myself to kingdom purposes first, seeking the kingdom first, I can't do that with what I'm doing, then the very things you're filling your time with aren't the things that God himself has called you to do. But God's called you to live a holy, set-apart life, to set boundaries on your life, even with the Sabbath day being honored as holy. And I recommend a book to you called uh, Choosing the Cheat by uh, Pastor Andy Stanley. And it talks about really ordering your life according to the mandates of God, setting proper boundaries so that you can, in fact, have the rest your soul needs, the fulfillment in your family life, the work-life balance that we're all longing for and looking for because we obey God's word and then actually have the not only resources, but also the strength to fulfill that which we're actually called to do. And when we have this obedience to even the fourth commandment, we actually find rest, our true rest in Christ. And true rest is ultimately found in Jesus Christ. And true rest means that we are free to no longer be driven by the tyranny of the urgent because of our trust in Christ. Nor are we driven by the hashtag YOLO or hashtag FOMO motifs. Instead, true rest in Christ means that we work hard for our provision, but we do so with boundaries, recognizing that our needs will ultimately be fulfilled by the hand of a caring Heavenly Father. And because of Christ's sacrifice at the cross, you no longer have to work your way to God, even in regards to salvation, but you're able to rest in Jesus' finished work for you at the cross. What that all means is that your life lived after that salvation, after that justification where you come and are reconciled to God. What that means is that subsequently you find rest in your soul from the burden of trying to forge an identity, significance, or ultimate success in life outside of God's loving plan. And when I live, I live at rest with the trust that, like King David said, it is the Lord who will fulfill his purpose for me. And he'll fulfill his purpose for me as I choose to obey him and ultimately as I walk in the freedom of finding rest in his son, Jesus Christ. And so we call you, God calls you to that today that we'd not only not use his name in vain, but we'd also learn to find our Sabbath rest on a weekly rhythm, a time of worship in God, pressing the reset button, but ultimately finding your rest in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Wherever you started today, let's all do that and end there in that place.
as we leave this place today. So I want to pray for you. And I want to start by praying for those who say, you know what? I have served God for years. <laughs> but the truth is, is that I've been a little bit off in terms of my decision making. And my decision making has really been based on what I wanted to do, when I wanted to do it, with whom I wanted to do it, where he, I wanted to do it. And there, wasn't real, there hasn't been much of an acknowledgement of God in my decision making. I haven't used God's name in vain in terms of expletives, but I have attached God's name to whatever I want to do. And not only that, but I've been running myself ragged because I've not stopped to rest. Even in the city of Chicago, the city of big shoulders, where people are constantly going and working hard, I've not learned to rest, and I feel worn out in my soul. But I really want to come into God's rest today and choose to acknowledge him and do things his way. If that's you, I want to start by praying for you. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters, and I pray even for my own soul, that you would help us to do things according to your word and your design. God, we pray that you would free us from the fear of missing out. God, we pray that you would free us from being something or achieving something other than what you've called us to be and to achieve for your glory, your eternal glory and kingdom purposes in Christ Jesus. God, we pray that you would teach us how to seek you in all things not only in prayer, but also with the counsel and fellowship with other brothers and sisters. And that as we do so, that God, we might choose to trust you in a Sabbath rest, not only on a weekly basis, but a Sabbath rest in our souls, knowing that we could put our hope and our confidence and our significance ultimately in you who you've called and created us to be. Nothing more and nothing less. And as we choose to rest in you, Christ, that we'd be filled with the joy and the peace that come from your Holy Spirit. And that it would give us a fresh strength, a new strength to live each and every one of our days. As you love, love us, provide for us, and care for us in Jesus' name. And now I want to finally say to anyone who's never really made a decision for Jesus, that now is your moment to do so. That this Sabbath rest that we're talking about is not just for the believer, but it's for somebody who hasn't grown up in church. It's somebody who may have grown up in church, but never really submitted to God as your Lord. And today is your day to do so according to the word of the Lord, that today is your day of salvation. And if you know you need to get right with God so that you can stop your striving, you can stop your running and come back into peace with God and not receive the judgment of death, destruction, and hell that is, that is really the recompense of God and those who live as his enemies. Would you pray this prayer with me today? Almighty God, I admit to you that I've been a sinner and that I've been on the run, not only taking your name in vain, but really trying to build a life for myself outside of your commandments and ways. And I know that because of my sin and my rebellion against me, against you rather, that I deserve death and destruction. I deserve the hell that I'm headed for. But today I want you to intervene. And I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins. I confess to you, I admit to you that I believe that Jesus lived the perfect life that I should have lived. Done all the work that I should have done. 
and on the cross died of the sacrificial death that I should have died. And that three days later, because of his sinless life, you raised him from the dead so that not only could I have forgiveness of sins, but new life in you. God, would you forgive me today? I'm tired of running today. And I'm asking that you would bring me into your Sabbath rest. That you would make me a new creation and show me how to love you and serve you as Lord from this point forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Now the good news is, if you prayed that prayer, God said he's made you a new creation. So would you do two things with me? Would you go with me first to this prayer button beneath? You can press the button letting us know that you're responding to God for new life, but also talk to one of our prayer counselors, even in this service today, who can encourage you in the next steps in Christ. And then you can go to our website, secondcitychurch.com slash newlife. There you can find not only resources, but continued next steps of how to join a community of faith who's going to show you how to walk out this new life in God, walking in the freedom of his Sabbath rest for you. We're going to continue to discuss these things in our virtual and in-person community groups this week. So if you've not been able to find one that fits your schedule, please do go to our website to see options that might work for you. We're going to be praying for you this week, so please do let us know how we can be standing with you in faith before the living God. And also think about how you can share this link so that others might be strengthened by the grace of God and invite others next week who also need to hear the good news about Jesus Christ. God bless you until then. Have a wonderful week in the Lord. And until then, we love you. See you next week.